there are three sections in the book of Acts. And this is seen in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The first is, the church is born. It's a? Church. Hallelujah. It's learning to? Take first steps. Walk. Yeah. To walk. Walk in the word. It's walking. It's growing. Okay? Three stages in the first church and three stages in any church. So first here we see that there's a new society breaks into this world. God breaks into this world and it's under a new power, under new values that are based on the fact that there's a risen Lord, Theophilus. There's a new Lord. And all this book of Acts is systematically showing that something has happened in the world that is the fulfillment of all that the creator and ruler of the world ever wanted. And our brother talked about the Lord of hosts. I might talk about that tomorrow night. That Lord of hosts, he isn't just the Lord of the armies of heaven. Do you know that? He's the Lord of all the armies of the earth. All the armies of the earth cannot do a thing unless the Lord of hosts allows them to. Not a persecutor, not a Saul, not a, a Herod beheading James can do a thing unless the Lord of hosts allows them to. Now you may ask, why doesn't God just quit persecution? And why doesn't God, you were going to see today that God strikes Herod dead. Like that in a moment. Well, why didn't he do that with others? Why didn't he do that with Hitler? Well, we're called to walk by faith, aren't we? And if God struck every person dead every time they sinned or every time they said something bad to a Christian, um, pretty soon people would get the idea. I'm sta I mean, we're, not a, we're pretty dumb. But, you know, even mice learn to stay away from traps, right? And I think we'd learn kind of quick uh, what we need to do to behave. If God used a big stick that was absolutely obvious every time, and he's chosen to allow there to be a mystery about life. And a, a parable. He spoke in parables in order that we needed to have some spiritual perception in order to see what he was seeing, saying. And that's why even in Luke Acts, Luke never tells us what his intention is in writing one-third of the New Testament. He just writes all those facts and we have to figure out for ourselves what was Luke trying to get at. So anyhow, the new society breaks in and everything is based around Jerusalem for three years. Then they're scattered, we'll see, we saw, and they're scattered and they begin to go out to, to different places in Samaria. They take their first steps outside their culture to Judea and Samaria up to, to the year 45. And then they begin to grow and advance and the first cross-cultural missions is born and we'll see that today and it goes to the ends of the earth. It goes from Jerusalem to the end. First they're just around Jerusalem, then they're out from there, and then it, it goes out from there. So um, what we see then here is I just want to take about 15 minutes to go through this. We saw last time that Peter came to Caesarea. And remember, who got Peter to Joppa? God. And who initiated the meeting with Cornelius? 
God. And who poured the Spirit out upon these unbaptized, did you get that? Unbaptized dogs. God. And who changed the course of history? God at a place right about there called Caesarea. And Joppa was down there along the coast. And that's what we saw. That's where we ended last time. And Peter last time came from Caesarea. He knew, oops, I better get back to the home church and let them know what happened before they hear through the grapevine. And he got back and he recounted everything that's happened. And they said, wow, has God then come to the Gentiles too? Has salvation come to the Gentiles too? And that's how we ended last time. Now, what we see happening at this same time is we see something else happens. Chapter 13, actually, just before then, we find that um, the Spirit of God also broke out up here in Antioch. Now, there's two Antiochs, but there's this Antioch up here. And Barnabas went up, there were, it says, this is really exciting. Okay, you can put the, the schedule up, and we'll be at um, uh, e the, uh, F, the first Gentile church is born. So, brrrp, no, it'll go to the next one. Oh no, here it is, F. This is now F, the first Gentile church is born, and then we're going to see this. Believers, it says some believers. Now, who could some believers include? Who could some believers include? Anybody, right? So some believers went up to Antioch and they began preaching in the synagogue, which is where they always began, right? You've got to start with the Jews. And then what did they do? Well, we won't even go there, okay? But I want to tell you. What they did is they next went and, uh, okay, I'll read it. Verse 19 of chapter 11. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none but Jews only. How many people see that in verse 19? You got it? None but Jews only? So they're in Antioch and they're over here on this island of Cyprus. And they're preaching to none but Jews only. Now remember, we're asking the question all week, how did we get from a Jewish religion to a bunch of German Baptists without a single Jew amongst them in 2,000 years? That's our question. We find that God is at work. Um, it then goes on and it says that, and some, notice that verse 20. How many people see that? And some. So that could have included you, right? Could have included a, a, a family headed up to Cyprus on a, we got to go sing and talk to them about this. And some were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake into, could you move those news pads together a little for me, please? Um, I know she's good at it. Uh, came to Antioch, spake unto who? Verse 20. 
Speak unto who? The Grecians. Not the synagogue. The Grecians. Preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now about the same time, Barnabas was sent up to Jeru from Jerusalem to Antioch to find out what was happening. And over here there's a little city called Tarsus where Paul had gone about 14 years or 12, 10 years before. Um, and Barnabas comes and finds out what's happening in Antioch and he goes and gets Saul and brings Saul back to Antioch. And I believe it says they ministered there for a year and a half. But that's where the first Gentile church is born. The first German Baptist church was planted there in Antioch. And it wasn't in a synagogue. And there might not have even been a Jew in them. I don't know. But it was a church. Now, a great famine at the time that all of this has happened, there's a famine has happened in Jerusalem. And these Gentile believers, what do they do? Who knows? What did the Gentile believers do? Yes. Did they, send money? they took an offering. And Paul and Barnabas and Saul take it back to Jerusalem because there's a famine. What else is happening at this time? Tells us in chapter, here we are, 12, 1 to 5. It tells us about that time. How many people see 12, 1, about that time? About that time, who? Aaron. Who was he? The king. the king. Pretty powerful. What's this little guy who died on the cross and these few 12 disciples? Uh, huh, they're, they're, they're just a couple of miserable whatnots. The king gets angry and he kills James, the brother of John, with the sword immediately. He puts Peter in prison and we have one of these other meetings. We have some of them and some Greeks. And then in the next scene we have Herod versus James. And then it goes on and he puts Her Peter in prison. And so we have Herod versus Peter and an angel. Again, isn't it amazing how many times angels show up? How often do they show up in your life? Wonder. More than we know. Good answer. Remember it said, Jesus said to his disciples in John 3, I think, that you shall see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now we don't have any record of that happening, do we? But Jesus said it was going to be happening. And I think angels are ascending and descending upon the church of the Son of Man. So anyhow, we see the king and martyrdom cannot stop the work of God. But then we see another thing. We see Herod versus God. And I'm not going to read the scriptures because I trust you've all read this ten times already in preparation. You know exactly where it is. Right? Okay. Um, you're supposed to notice things and I was told that you all notice these. <laughs> and I hope no one got any pictures of them. It happened by accident. I didn't have time to take them off the first day, and after that I thought, well, they're just an awful lot more comfortable. <laughs> I am from Canada, you know. Um, what are you supposed to notice about the Word of God? 
everything that stands out, right? <laughs> you need a notice. And so, anyhow, I don't know where I was with that, but we noticed there's this Herod versus God. And I know you've been reading and noticing these things. That's the point. Reading the Word is all about looking, observing, recording what you find, and speaking to God about it. We see Herod versus Her uh, God. Herod goes over here to this place at the same time that revival's happening up here. Herod goes over to Tyre. And the people in Tyre have been rebellious, like we've heard about this week. They, they don't like authority. They despise authority. But they've been getting some spankings. And so they decide, we better ship up. I mean, we better shape up. And Herod comes over and they're saying, as they're all gathered, he gives this great speech. And every once in a while, someone says, it's a God, not a man. And he keeps speaking and someone says, it's a God, not a man. And he keeps speaking and someone says, it's a God. And they're just flattering him. But he keeps speaking. And God comes and strikes him dead. Strikes the king of this whole region dead. Because he does not say, no, I am not a God. We're looking at the works of who? God. Luke is wanting to show Theophilus the works of who? God. Is God more powerful than who? Herod. Okay. We come then to chapter 13. Now there were in the church which was at Antioch certain prophets... Barnabas, Simeon, etc. They played, they ministered and fasted. And here we are at a critical point in all of history. And if we were to look at our three things, put, put the three things back for a moment, brother, just without the overlay. But if we were to look back there, we are at another critical turning point in all of history. Here we have had that the church is Jewish. Here we have a transition where a few Gentiles are getting added onto the church. And there's this first little church in Antioch that's a Greek German Baptist church. And then God comes again. God comes again. God initiates something again. They're having a prayer meeting. The leaders are in the upper room up there. Up there, rather. And they've been talking and praying and fasting. And God says... I've got something in mind for you brothers today. Are you listening? I'd like you to separate a couple brothers. I've got a plan. Uh, I, I would like to get the gospel that's come to you in Antioch out to this whole region here. Down to Cyprus and up here and all in here and Iconium and places like that. Will you separate me, Paul and Barnabas, and send them out to do that? And cross cultural foreign missions to non-Jews on purpose were born out of a Gentile church. A turning point in all of history. 4,000 years of Jewish religion is being totally shaken and changed within a period from 33 to 45. That's 12 years. Now you think of what you go through in 12 years. That's the length of the nib of the pen. In our previous illustration, right? Okay, now we need to rush because I have a whole sermon to do after we get done with this. 
Let's go back to here. We start the first missionary journey. The Holy Spirit separates. They go first to Cyprus where he gets bitten by that, that thing. Then they go to this place, Antioch in Pisidia, which is right here. That's the second Antioch. And a significant thing happens there. So turn to, uh, that's chapter 13, verses 14 to 15, 50. And I want you to notice this. Okay, stop writing. And everyone... Look at your word, the Bible. You can write the other stuff after, okay? Verse 17. Look at it. God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the what? People. People when they were yet strangers in the land of Egypt and with a high arm brought them out. Now what's he done again back here in the resurrection? He's done exactly the same thing, hasn't he? And now poured out the Spirit upon them. Okay, carry on. I want you to know verse 21. Paul begins to preach in Iconium. And this is what he's saying as he's preaching. This is a significant message. That's why we're looking at it. Verse 21. He tells the people as he's in their university campus or whatever. That uh, you people, you Jews desired a king. You prayed for a king, and God gave you a king called David, verse 22 says. Verse 23 says, of this man's seed. Now, who is this man? David. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a what? Whose name is? Verse 27. The rulers in Jerusalem, because they knew him not, and because they had not listened to the voices of the prophets, what did they do? Condemned him. Verse 30, what did God do, brothers? Verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children in that he hath raised up Jesus again. Verse 39, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And then notice this. Verse 40, How does he end? Remember, we talked about this in the sermons before. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish, for I work a work. What have we been talking about? The works of? In a new? In a new? age that's initiated by who? What does it say? Notice that word, brother. Wonder, for I do a what? No, I do a, look at, a work, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Let's say it together. Wow! Wonder of a work that you couldn't even comprehend. Even though God's been telling you about it through all His prophets all these years, not one of you believed it. And we're going to talk about that in the next message, which comes in about five minutes, I hope. Okay? Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> You've learned by now that I have a hard time with time, right? Now, go on to verse 45. 
But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And they waxed bold and said, it was, oh, Paul waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first be spoken to you, who? But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to... And verse 51, they shook off the dust of their feet against them in Iconium. They go on from their next page. They go on from there to Iconium where he's stoned and I believe left for dead. But before he's stoned, remember, he does some miracles and people come and say, you and Barnabas must be God and they want to raise up just like Herod was called God. Isn't, isn't the devil tricky? Here, Herod's been called God and, and Satan says, I think I'll try that again and see if I, if I can do that again. And he gets people to come and call James and John God, just like they called Herod God, and see if they will get their shoulders squared. But what do they do? They soundly reprove them and say, we are just men. Anyhow, they return and they come back to Antioch. And there they explain in chapter 14 and... Look at that. They go everywhere on the way back. Mm. Where are we? Return trip. Uh, don't know. Anyhow, they go. it says in, in 15.3 that they go around declaring the conversion of the, the Gentiles. And in verse 15.9 it says, it's become obvious that there's no difference between us and them purifying their hearts in love. Actually, we now go, that's the Jerusalem Council. From there, some activity starts, and we'll see a little more of that maybe tomorrow. Some opposition has come, and people are saying, all these Gentiles need to be, um, keep the Sabbath on Saturday and be circumcised and all these things, and this dispute starts. So we have the, the characters in this scene are Jew versus Gentile. And we have the whole Jerusalem Council, and they give, they give the report there of all that's happened amongst the Gentiles, God has a little circle on the floor here in Antioch and in, in Pisidia and in that Antioch. God did something while these men and sisters were on the floor. He purified their hearts by faith. And we saw it and we've seen the evidence. They brought that report. And then there's a second journey begins and it comes back through this whole area and around here and over to Corinth. And there's a number of stops there. You'll find first, though, in that second journey, right after all the unity that was brought about at this council, there's a division between Saul and Barnabas. Talk about that another time. They go back to churches where they were. In Troas, God opens a door to Macedonia, over here where Philippi and those places are. But they come down finally all the way through to Corinth. And I want you to go there, raise it up to there. All the details aren't that important. Because remember what Luke is doing? He's just story after story reaffirming the thing that he started to say in chapter 1. 
that God's at work. So you've already got that, haven't you? And we're just trying to bring the story to an end, but we remember, we saw already, does the story end? No. no. Okay, so you don't need to know all the details either. But in Corinth, if you turn to 18, 1 to 17, you'll see this. Verse 6 says that they opposed them and in Corinth they were opposed. You know, I can't see what I was looking for right now because I don't have the right sheet in front of me and that's okay. Let me just quickly see. He spent a year and a half there in Corinth, um, what was I looking for? You have read the Jewish opposition, a significant word, and lengthy ministry. That's okay, let's just leave it. Somewhere I thought there was uh, something again about turning to the Gentiles. End of verse 6, 19, end of verse 18, end of verse 6. Okay, there we are. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be upon your head. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. And from that point we see Paul beginning to give himself to ministry to the Gentiles. Go to the next page. We see another missionary trip. He comes home, he comes to Corinth, he spends a year and a half there, and he comes back. And then he does a third trip, and he comes, I can't remember exactly which way, I think he comes back over the top here and through, and he comes to Ephesus for the first time. And incredible things happen there, and there's opposition this time from idolaters that are concerned that Paul is taking away their income and that Diana, the God who is worshipped in the whole world, is becoming nothing because of this new religion. So now it's not just Jews that are threatened by this new religion, it's who? So it's not just Jewish religious people who are against this new religion, it's Gentile religious leaders. So everybody is opposed to this new religion. But who is at work? God. God is at work. Wow. Paul is warned of trouble all the way back. He is warned of trouble. But I, I want you to... I wish I had that sheet of mine because I wrote it on the sheet, the verses I want. Here, is this it? Oh, here we are. This is what I'm looking for. It's right in front of my eyes. I want you to notice. Yeah, did you notice verses 18, 6? Now, look at 18. Uh, no, look at 23, 11. You can read all the rest of the details on your own, right? And you're going to when you get home. And the night following, the Lord stood by him 
Uh, after it says he, they, he was threatened, verse, uh, verse 10 said it looked like he was going to be pulled in pieces by the people that were angry at him in Jerusalem. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must, you must, let's say that together, you must bear witness of me in Rome. Who's got an idea? I, I wrote Paul's imprisonment, but I think we should have written missionary journey number four. And whose idea is that missionary journey? God's. Do you know that, okay, keep on going here. The next one, look at 27, 23 and 24. Let's read it together. Uh, long thing and then a comma. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. So first he was about to be torn about by a crowd of angry people. But who's at work? God. Who's the Lord? God. Now he's about to be shipwrecked somewhere in here on his way to Rome. And if any of you have been on the ocean, and you probably have if you're around here, you know what that's like. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be out in a, a storm where you're scared that you might die in a canoe. It's happened to me many times. I know that fear. A whole shipload, I think it says there was 200 prisoners on there. They were afraid. But God came in the night and said, Paul, you must speak to who? Caesar. Do you know we have no record that Paul spoke to Caesar? How many people here believe that God spoke to Caesar? Why do you believe that? Because he says, God said, you must bear this testimony to Caesar. Who was Caesar? He was the emperor of the whole world. So this little gospel that started way back here in our timeline with 12 men at the death of Jesus is brought before Caesar in the first missionary journey. Okay. Let's put that other overhead up with the overlays on top of it and then we're done. And then I'll have to, you'll have to listen very fast in the next message. <laughs> you can write all this down later, okay? In fact, I'll put it on this overhead later. The church is born, a new society breaks in, new power. In this first few years, though, there is the fulfillment of the promise to Israel, to the Jews. It all begins in the temple and from house to house in Jerusalem amongst the Jews. Then we come to the baby steps where they're scattered everywhere. They're out of their comfort zone. The light goes on for Peter that the gospel is for all. Remember that in the house of Cornelius? And a new society is intended by God that is made up of men of what? Every tribe. And so here we have this Jewish religion that meets in the temple. And what I would say is the Gentiles are 
added on as kind of a little wart, but a, a nice wart. They actually like them. And we find that they go out and they find little remnant seekers amongst the Gentiles. And we're in this whole transition period here, right up to Acts 13. In Acts 13, there's a whole new thing. We begin cross-cultural missions, and we find that the Jews more and more reject this gospel that includes the Gentiles. And finally, we find over and over in these last few chapters those statements like, we turn to the Gentiles. They begin beginning in the synagogues here, but finally they start going to the Greeks and the German Baptists. And finally, instead of a Jewish church, first you ever hear a Jewish church, then you have a Jewish church with some Gentiles added on. And then what do you have? A Gentile church? Why don't we better call it a believer's church? A believer's church. Where there's no Jew or Gentile. And prison bars, which was where Paul was for that last while, cannot stop this gospel. Because turn to, to Acts chapter 28. Paul hasn't got to the emperor yet, but we know from Philippians that he had the opportunity to preach to the whole Praetorian guard, right? The whole guard of the emperor. And one day we know by faith he preached to the whole emperor. But it says there, Jewish people came before them. It tells us in verse 23 in a, in a, uh, a proper time. And it says he testified. Look at verse 23. Can you see there where it says he expounded and testified concerning the kingdom of God? Now who is Paul trying to, to convince Theophilus is king? God. Jesus. And then finally, over in verse 28, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear. Just before that he says, You won't hear. You don't have ears to hear. But the Greeks and Anabaptists and German Baptists will hear. And it all ends, verse 31, that Paul spent two whole years under house arrest with a guard by his side, who, and they came in on shifts. So he thought, praise the Lord, tonight I get Steve while I'm witnessing to the people who are coming. Hey, tonight I get Josh. Ah, today. And it carried on for two years as the guard just kept changing, and he kept getting to testify. Isn't that exciting? Can prison bars stop the work of God? Whose kingdom is being preached? God's. Amen. Let's pray. Father, root these things in these young people, I pray. And in me. And may it thrill our souls as it must have thrilled the souls of those that early church as it found out that it could walk, as it found out that it had a mummy and a daddy, as it found out the joys of teenage adventure, and teenage trials. And we want all those joys, Lord. And we want our eyes open to that which is more than you could, that we could ever have imagined that is what you had in mind. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have given you some sheets.
And I've asked that you try to fill out the sheets that you have as resources. If anyone needs sheets like this, let me know. If there's anything you need, let me know. You also have a sheet there that is like that sheet with three squares. Right? Now, I don't have a copy of one here. Could I borrow yours? I encourage you, the overhead will be up later. We're going to turn it off now, though, because I don't want you to copy it now. I want you to encourage you to get some of this in your mind. But tomorrow, you're going to have no sheets like this. I'm going to give you a blank one. You're going to sit in groups, and you're going to have to try and put the book of Acts in these three boxes, okay? Are you ready? Okay, be ready. Think creatively, pray creatively. Stand up with me. There will be no response time tomorrow because we'll be gathering more than half our time will be workshop and response time to today. I mean, no response time today, I don't think, because I don't think you can listen fast enough for me to get through. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want... Let's see, I want three different groups. Everyone here, I want you to breathe real shallow, which will be hard for me to do right now, so I won't join your group. This group over here, I want you to just breathe continuously. And then over here, I want you to all take a deep breath and hold it. Okay? Are you ready? Real shallow, continuously, and a deep breath and hold it. Let's go. watching these guys to see how long we go. Your mouth's open. Are you sure you're still holding it? Okay, long enough. Okay. The Holy Spirit is called the wind. Is called breath. How many of you had breath in you right then? Every one of you. Okay, I could sit down in this chair with my things that you all admire. <laughs> Do I have breath in me? Yes. I could run 10 miles. Do I have breath in me? Yes. Okay. At the back, there's a cart. I'll need, Pete, if you could wheel it around and up here. It's got some glasses and things. You may be seated. Whoa! I am just starting. The book of Acts, brothers and sisters, is a dangerous book. And I want you to turn, especially for preachers that have a time limit, turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. And being assembled together, you'll notice all the references are here. You can write them down later. I'd rather you followed the scripture now and don't write things down. Because I'm not trying to, I'm giving you information, but all that information you can come and get later on, all right? You can come and, and get it for yourself, so, so that's okay. Um, Acts 1, 4 to 8. Wait the promise of the Father which you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with what? Water. water. We got some water here. I'm not very good at pouring things, but there's some water. Uh, John 
dunked some people in some water, right? Kind of like, like that. Uh, and they got immersed in water because they had a problem and they needed to repent. And their immersion in water, as they went down into the water, let's put it here instead. No, I'll put it here instead. They went into the water. It was because they're saying, I've got a problem. And that problem is going to die. Now, those of you that have been baptized, when you got baptized, they put you under. And I always like to make sure that people are held under long enough that they know they were under. <laughs> I, I don't like it when I get someone afterwards that says, my coat was sticking out. Does that mean I actually got baptized? <laughs> I, I like to make sure they go really on. Now, what if we hold you there? What's going to happen? You're going to die. You are going to die. And that's what this is all a symbol of. It's a, a, a symbol of a, a dying. If we, if we put it this way, I'll just get ahead of myself because I can't follow these notes too close anyhow. So we'll just do it as it sort of comes a little. But here's the water. Or here's the, the, the Jordan. And you're walking on this side. And you come down into the water where you die. But what do you do? You come out the other side. Nope. Something stays there. There's a boundary that's crossed. There's an official declaration to all the powers that be that you've transferred from one kingdom into another kingdom. Now it already happened back here. But you're making the declaration that you read the book of Acts and found out that Jesus is Lord. And that not even a trip to the water is going to stop you and that you're going to put to death everything else that comes along the way. And you come out the other side. But you are immersed in water. But it says, verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And he commands them, and uh, he says, It's not for you to know times and seasons that are under God's own Power. That word power is the word exousia, which means right or authority. In other words, God is the author of everything that happens to the United States and Canada and the Nazis and everything else. And Herod, that's God's department. And God isn't changing things politically or by moral majorities or by making you good teachers or by any of that. He says in verse 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, and we know the rest. That word power is not the word exousia, it's the word dunamis, which is the word dynamite. You shall receive dynamite when the Spirit of God comes upon you, and you will be witnesses. And this is what actually happened, brothers and sisters. They had a power and a dunamis that was not their own. These 12 men began to live extra extraordinary lives and they testified, it tells us, of all that they had seen and heard to the ends of the world. And the course of whole of history was changed. So this morning we want to look at what the Bible says about the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we read Acts, 
We need to ask, what is God saying? And I wish I could say a few more things about this, but I can't. We need to ask, what is the theology? In other words, what is God teaching us about himself and about his design and purpose for all of life? That's theology. I wish we could make theology a good word instead of a bad word. I feel too much we've made it a bad word, and we should instead talk about systematic manipulators instead of about theology, because theology should be a good word. It's words about God and all he intends. So what is the theology? A good way to think of theology is what just jumps off the page as we read all of the book of Acts. And one great thing that jumps off the page, are you all listening quick today? Because we're talking about something that you probably haven't heard much about. And you're going to have to hear it in a big hurry and then go study it. What jumps off the page, one of the great themes is that ordinary men were filled with the Holy Spirit and said and did and lived things that were clearly not done in their own power. We see the record of a spirit filled society. Now many ask, what is spirit-filled life? How can I be filled with the Spirit? What is the baptism of the Spirit? Is it for today? Is there a second work of grace? Many have formulas of how do you, you get filled with the Spirit. And many avoid the subject altogether and hope that no one will ask them any questions. And many preachers Choose not to preach on it and hope no one will notice because they don't actually know what to say because it's a dangerous topic. So we ignore the Holy Spirit and the power. We ignore the very dynamic that made the whole book of Acts. We ignore the very thing that made that little baby. We decide we're not going to get married because we're scared of what will happen. We've seen some awfully bad families, so let's just not get married and not have any little babies and not have any first steps and not have any teenage years. We'll just live our own lives and die and go to heaven. Fear. Did you get the picture? 1 Corinthians 12.1 says, I would not have you ignorant of spiritual things. So there's been a lot of, I'm going to say five, three words again. There's been a lot of fear, a lot of ignorance, and a lot of mystery about the Spirit-filled life. And I just hope in a small way that we can open a door and begin to change some of that today. I'm not going to give you formulas. I'm not going to give you all the answers because I don't have them. But we're going to look at what the Bible says. We're going to observe things, right? See what's different, right? What stands out? You get the point? We're going to gather the facts and we're going to ask how they apply. And faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the? Word of God. So if you want to know about the Holy Spirit, what should you study? And what it says about what? About the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we're going to take just the writings of Luke and we're going to walk through in between all the landmines and we're looking for two things. We're going to be looking for the facts 
I won't even write it down. We're going to be looking for the facts, and we're going to be looking for what we're to be expecting. The expectation, our response. So let's begin. We're going to have to begin in Luke. I have 15 minutes to get through all of Luke and Acts. And how long did it take me to get through Acts? <laughs> so are we having Bible school next week? You have the references here. You don't need to write them down now. Uh, Luke chapter 1 to 4 is critical. Because remember, we're looking at a two-volume work. Uh, 1, 15, we have Zacharias and Elizabeth. An angel comes to Elizabeth and says, uh, uh, or to Zacharias, says, your wife, who's old and barren, is going to have a child, and that child will be, you see it in verse 15, filled with the Holy Ghost from where? Father's womb. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power, verse 17, of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the children, and so on and so forth. We carry on over to, um, to make ready a people for God. John the Baptist is going to be filled with the spirit for the room. Remember, no one's been filled with the spirit for 400 years. And John's going to be filled while he's in the womb, because God has a plan for that young man. And he's going to start the spirit life, fill life, real early. Okay, we carry on and we find that Zacharias is in the temple. Now the temple is the place where God is. It's the place where God speaks. And we find that this angel appears to him and says, I am Gabriel that stands in... I'm, I'm not reading the scriptures because I, I don't have time here. But this angel says, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. And what is... Zacharias' response, it's fear, it's surprise, it's doubt, it's unbelief. He was in the temple. It was his turn, maybe the only turn he'd get in his whole life to go and burn incense in that inner place. And no one else was there. It was him and God. What would you think you'd expect to meet? Do you think you'd go in there with a sense of expectation? Zacharias didn't seem to have an expectation. When he saw an angel, he was surprised. He was shocked. When it spoke to him, he didn't believe what it said. He wasn't expecting to meet God. And he hears this incredible news about this little baby and this promise that has come at the end of 400 years with no obvious activity of the Spirit. And here God announces to Zacharias, burning incest, that all of this is going to change. Go on to 31 to 33. We'll find that Mary comes along, and well, actually, this must be uh, chapter 3 now, no? Okay, this is still chapter, yeah, 3. I must be uh, 31. Um, uh, yeah, there's the promise that Mary is going to have a child, and it's going to be conceived of who? Verse 35. Holy Ghost. She goes, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. What happens when, sisters, what happens in verse 41 when Mary walks into Elizabeth's living room? The baby leaps and Elizabeth is filled with what? The Holy Ghost. And what does she do? She prophesies. And she doesn't stop. I mean, she gets it. 
when this stuff comes down upon her, she gets a good dose. And she can't stop talking. Anyhow, I think you get the point. As we go on there, we find that Zacharias' mouth is opened afterwards. And they're saying, what, 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 what's the name of this baby? And he writes, John. And his mouth is opened. And what does he do? He's filled with the Spirit. And what does he do, young men? He prophesies of all that is to come. He speaks. Something happens. And everyone knows. Can I ask you a question? In the Old Testament, when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, did they need to go say, hey, sister, I got the, the filling of the Holy Spirit last night? Yeah, hey, hey, did you know? Yeah, I had the filling of the Spirit ten years ago. <gasps> I'm still trying to hold it. And I'm still talking about it. Holding my breath. Okay. He got it, didn't he? And something happened. He didn't need to announce it. We go on and there's Simeon, filled with the Holy Ghost, comes in and talks about things. We find Anna, the prophetess, comes and she can't stop talking, verse 38 of chapter 2, to everyone she sees about all that's happening. We find in verse 40 of chapter 2 that Jesus kept growing. And that the word, then in chapter 3, verse 2, the word of the Lord came to John... After all these years of silence, and in chapter 3, verse 3, he began preaching in the wilderness. In chapter 3, verse 15, we see that all the people were in expectation, saying, is this the Christ? And in verse 16, John says, I am not. But he that shall come after me shall baptize you with what? And fire. Verse 21, this is significant, of chapter 4, is it? Um, no, chapter 3. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized, going down into that river, coming out the other side, being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. Something was seen when Jesus was baptized, and something was heard when Jesus was baptized. It wasn't from Jesus this time, though. It was from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And it tells us there in chapter 4 that Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. Now before this, it tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge. But suddenly here it tells us that Jesus was what? Full of the Holy Ghost returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. And then he came back and in verse 14 it says, and Jesus returned in the what? Power of the Spirit. Now, did he have a little badge like I don't want to pay attention to here that said, I'm full of the Spirit? No, he didn't. The evidence wasn't that he had some badge he looked back to. It was that he had power flowing out from his life. And he said, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. And you know all of that. But I want you to go to chapter 10, I think it is, of Acts. Let's just see here. Um... 
Oh, I'm in Luke. That's why this isn't working. 1036. Okay, 1036. How God, and they began to publish that after the baptism with John, verse 37, how God anointed, do you notice that word? God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good. What came when Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost? Power. What happened to kings by the prophets? A prophet came along and he said, my hand's too shaky, your Bible would, would die, but uh, uh, I anoint you as king. That's what God did to Jesus. Now, was Jesus God before that? Was he full of the wisdom of God before that? But something happened that was significant in the life of Jesus that God came and he anointed him and he initiated him and he said there's a whole new thing that's happening. I am going to release you to go and minister in my power. Okay, do you understand that? Now, let's go to Acts. I just got to forget these notes here, I guess. It's kind of hard to do, but um, I'll put that overhead up, brother. Uh, that's the one. Since Brother Joe did this, I better use it. What we see then in Luke is the ministry of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that he was anointed. Do you know the word Christ means anointed one? In Acts, we see the ministry of Jesus continues through the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that the church is anointed. Anointed. Now, it's not quite like this, but this is how in the Old Testament they anointed the kings. The church is anointed. And Christians could mean little anointed ones. Have you got the little anointing? Are you one of those little anointed ones? So the first thing, I wish this was written down, you can turn that off. The first thing we see as we look at volume one of the book of Acts, which is the book of Luke, is that Luke was very aware of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? In fact, it's one of the significant things about Luke's one-third of the New Testament is we see it sticks out everywhere that he talks about the Holy Spirit. The other thing he talks about is money. But uh, maybe those two go together somehow. The second thing we see so it's not a new idea to Luke when he begins Acts. Okay? The second thing we see is that where the Spirit comes, things happen that are obvious. Did we see that in Luke? In fact, you see it in the whole Old Testament whenever the Spirit comes. Number three, in Luke we see that people were waiting 400 years they've been waiting in expectation. And when John the Baptist comes along, they think, Is this it? We're ready! We see in Luke chapter 11, 9 to 13, important that you look at that, that Luke says, a father will not give his son a stone, but he'll give him the Holy Spirit. And right before that it says, they'd asked him how to pray and he talks to them about the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, we have all the records of prayer meetings where the Holy Spirit came. Now, 
Where am I going? They ask about prayer. And he says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door you will be open to you. Because a daughter will now ask her, funds, her dad for a bread and he'll give them a stone. So much more will the Father give you the what? But do we need to believe in that Holy Spirit? If we're afraid, if I am passing you a time bomb, sister, and you think, oh, you know, this is the airplane. Hey, no, you can't take that on the airplane full of liquid like this, lady. You're going to miss, right? Okay. But anyhow, I, I got kind of mixed up in my analogies there, didn't I? <laughs> uh, anyhow, the point is, if you chuck this in the garbage because it's too big and it's too scary, you're going to miss everything that God has said is available in this new age. And I'm afraid we've done that all too much. Uh, chapter 24 of Luke says, Jesus again says, I'll send my spirit. Now let me ask, do you want that spirit-filled life? Yes. Do you want that awareness of the spirit of God's presence and power in your life in church? Yes. Okay. John went into the water and came out. Is that what's supposed to happen for us with the Holy Spirit? That we get a baptism and we say, ah, oh, yeah, I got that 20 years ago. Okay, we're not going to get to a lot of acts, but here's some Christians. Up here, okay. Do you want to come, Russ, and help me out? Uh, pour, pour one of them three quarters, or quarter full, one, one a little bit more, yeah. Okay, now when you're filled with the, when you come to Christ, what do you receive? Okay. If you don't have, you don't have, you're not a Christian. You don't have life. Now, some people are sitting in the rocking chair like I was before. Do they have life? Can you be a Christian if you don't have life? No. We're all Christians full of the Holy Ghost. Trip question. No. Why did they choose Stephen? Because he was... Follow the Holy Ghost. You'll read it in here. And what does his face shine like? My time is up. Sisters, do you think Peter's face only shone like that when he was before the firing squad? Do you think it might have shone like that when he was helping his wife with the dishes? Do you think it could ha ha be shining like that when you're cleaning a toilet? Do you think it could happen when you're having a bad day? Okay. Can you give me five minutes, Brother Pete? Five minutes. We're not looking at the... You're going to go home from here, or maybe in who knows what, if you get extra time in your prayer meetings, you could, could look through some of these or whatever. But what we'll find here is I'm going to give you an illustration of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? okay. <laughs> here are these Christians. They're up here. They're up here. They're walking around in the land of this world. They're Christians, right? Some are in their easy chair with a bit of water. Is there water in this glass? Yeah. Will it quench your thirst? Yeah. yeah, you'll get a bit anyhow. Let's start. This one's a little better though. But they're still walking around in the realm of earth. Jesus said, when I come, I want to baptize you. Now, the word baptism means what? Immerse. So there's this bucket, pretend full of water. 
And Jesus comes and he takes these people. Are they already Christians? You'll find that there was several kinds of people that got filled with, several ways God filled people with his spirit in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, they were already believers. When they came to, I've got to pull these up from my memory now. When they came, came to um, Cornelius' house, they were kind of whatever, but they weren't even baptized yet and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. When they came to Samaria, they'd already been baptized, but the apostles came and laid hands on them and prayed that they'd be full of the, full of the Holy Spirit. When they went to, um, to Ephesus and he met those men and asked if they'd received the Holy Spirit, they said no. And he explained things more fully to them and he baptized them and when they were down in the water and coming up, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So there was all kinds of different ways it happened. But the word baptize means to immerse. So we take these people here that have Christ. Here's this guy up here. He's got a little more water, but this one with less water read what it said about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And even though he wasn't as mature, and nowhere do we find that it was people 30 years in maturity that were filled with the Holy Spirit. No, we find it was people that believed. Were filled full like Stephen. Because they were immersed into the realm of the Spirit. So here's this guy up here still walking around on earth's realm. Has he got the Spirit of life in Christ? Some people say, now you can only have part of the Spirit. How can you divide up the Spirit? The Bible says the only person that had the Spirit without measure was who? Jesus. Will you ever have all of the Holy Spirit? No. We get into stupid arguments about it. What it says is be immersed and anointed so that you can have power in your life. Now you know the resurrection power. You believed in that, but God is saying there's a fullness that He wants for us. And it's also received by faith. And we become an immersed. Now, do we come into that tub and out the other side? No. We are now immersed into a realm which the main thing in our life is the spirit, not business. The spirit, not our house. The spirit, not our toilet. The spirit, not how big our bathroom is. They like to make them bigger and bigger. What we think about, what we live for, is the spirit. Here's a believer but he hasn't quite found that out yet. Do you get the difference? Now let's put all these people back up here. I said there's, there's, there's no specific way to get this. Let's imagine there's no one down here that is full of the Spirit. Is it going to be hard for these people to believe there's a Spirit-filled life? Is it? But now let's take these cups here and let's fill this down here with Christians everywhere. And now you say, we're going to pray for you that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you think this guy's going to know what you're talking about? Do you know lots of people get prayed for that they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit when they get baptized? Or at some other time. But you know a lot of time we don't know what we're expecting. Zacharias was expecting nothing when he went into the temple all by himself with God. And all too many people, people come along and they lay hands on them and pray for the Spirit after they got baptized or what? And what are they expecting? Are they expecting something obvious to happen? Are they expecting anything to happen? 
Are they expecting power? Faith comes how? Of the word about the Holy Spirit. Is it a good gift? Does it happen the same for everyone? Is it something you should all be talking about? And if you talk about it and somehow get this place down here filled with the word, even though there's not a lot of people down here, even though suddenly it becomes something this person up here says, I want it! And you say, go look what the word has to say about it. It's not a formula. Faith comes by hearing. The Father will not give you a rock. Okay. I wanted to sing Eternal Father, but maybe we can someday. God bless you. Tomorrow, remember those sheets. And uh, thank you so much. And time for questions and all of that tomorrow. Lord willing, I'm going to preach for 20 minutes tomorrow. And the rest is your time. Yes, expectation needs to be followed by receiving, right? He said, receive. It's wonderful.